This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week we have Dinosaur of the Day, Electrosaurus, and a bunch of dinosaur news. But before we get into our news, we want to thank some of our patrons who helped make this episode possible. And this week, we would like to thank Scotty, Megan Dixon, Kessler, Tristan Jules, Grandpa Dino, Rhinosaurus, Morgan Eklov, Dr. Eigenbot, Taylor, Lori, and Risa. And Risa just joined, so thank you. Yes, thank you so much. We have... A treat for all of our patrons since we're coming up on our 200th episode in just a couple short weeks. Yeah, everybody who is a patron, when our 200th episode comes out, will get the Top 10 Dinosaurs of 2014 audiobook, which I realize 2014 was a while ago, but... (laughs) But it's an audiobook. Yeah, we just finally made the audiobook version, and we'll be making the audiobook versions of the other books at some time in the future. Last week I mentioned that there were a couple of new dinosaurs that I hadn't talked about yet, so I have two more new dinosaurs to talk about this week, and there'll be even more next week, I'm sure. So the first one I'm going to talk about is an Iguanodontian from Mongolia, which was described by Terry Gates and others, and this one's called Cherodon, is how I'm going to pronounce it. You're really supposed to roll the R and make it sound all Mongolian-like, which I cannot do, so I'm just going to stick with Cherodon. And the species name is Barsboldi, so it's Cherodon Barsboldi. And Cherodon is called this because it was found near Cher, Mongolia, which is about 200 kilometers southeast of the capital, Ulaanbaatar, and Odon, which is Latin for tooth, which they say is a common ending for ornithopod dinosaur taxa, which I'm going to talk about more later. And sent me down a really deep rabbit hole. And this was only, what, five minutes into researching the first news item? (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) And Barsboldi is the species name because they wanted to honor Dr. Rinchen Barsbold, who is a prominent Mongolian paleontologist who helped find the first fossils of Cherodon. So that makes sense. And I think there's been other Barsbold named dinosaurs too. Sounds familiar. Yeah. They actually found three individuals of Cherodon, They're all very close in size, but they're also all sub-adult. So it's like they found a very specific age group, and they're all that age, but none of them are adults. It's kind of weird. 
the remains include a complete skull, other than the brain case, which is basically part of the skull, but you know, it's very much inside. So if you look at the outside of it, it looks like you have the full skull. They also found a partial sternum, and they found the left femur and the right tibia, which is kind of weird. So it's like the upper part of the left leg and the lower part of the right leg, and then a little bit of the hips. So not too much, but it's cool that they found the full skull because that's often the most interesting part, especially with dinosaurs like iguanodonts, where their body is just kind of a generic herbivore body, and then the head is often has different stuff. Yeah, otherwise you wouldn't be able to tell what kind of genus it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Looking at it, it does look quite a bit like iguanodon. Its skull kind of curves downward in the front, so the top of the skull which is sort of where the nose is, droops down <laughs> over the, the bottom of the mouth. So it kind of looks like it has a huge nose kind of sacking over the mouth. If you know what Iguanodon looks like, then you know what I'm talking about. And it also has a really large nasal fenestra. So that's that big opening that goes through this, you know, from the left to the right side in the nose. So I would call it a nose opening, but that makes you think of where it breathes in. And this isn't necessarily where it breathes in. It could just be an extra gap in the skull to kind of lighten it up. Those are both common in later hadrosauroids, but a little unusual for earlier hadrosauroids. And this one's relatively early because we think it's from the early Cretaceous about 100 to 110 million years ago. So that's interesting. And then the other features that they found were that by the eyes, it has more similar features to early hadrosauroids, for example. So it's a mixture of features like we almost always see. They said that the dentary, or where all the teeth are, has 21 tooth positions, but there are only <laughs> two teeth per family, meaning with one socket, there's two teeth in there. That's a lot of teeth. Yeah, but some of them have more than that. So, you know, that means there's what, at least 42 teeth. And I'm not sure if the dentary, that might only be the one part of it, like the bottom part versus the top part. Either way, though, it's much fewer teeth than some of the later hadrosaurids had because some of them even broke a thousand teeth. So <laughs> still <laughs> pretty small dental batteries, I guess you'd say. I wonder if that hurt breaking a thousand teeth. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't break them all. They had that <laughs> fancied enamel, remember? <laughs> I know. Just having some fun. Yeah. They didn't give a size estimate for, for Cheridon. But the skull is roughly, and I just eyeballed this, about half a meter long, which is about a foot and a half long. And so that makes it maybe about half the size of an adult iguanodon, which is about 10 meters, so five meters-ish. You know, it's a sub-adult, and all three of them were sub-adults in around that sort of size. They could have given a size range, though, because they found the femur, so they could have guessed at the weight. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't, but maybe since it's already growing... They figure maybe the femurs and scaled for that exact size individual or something. I don't know. It was found in the same formation as another iguanodontian named Ultirhinus. So the obvious question then is if these are subadults and Ultirhinus is in the same formation, is it a subadult of Ultirhinus? And the author said that Cheridon is probably not a antigemorph <laughs> of Ultirhinus. Which I think is kind of a funny word, but I guess antigemorph means that, you know, they don't think it's just a different age of that same animal, like has been proposed for Triceratops with Taurosaurus and Stygimoloch with Pachycephalosaurus and all those kinds of things. Hmm. 
In fact, when I googled Antigemorph, just because I wanted to make sure, the first thing that pops up is the Wikipedia article for Stygimoloch because of Jack Horner. Oh, yep. <laughs> Makes sense. Maybe he coined that word. I'm not sure. So they also tried making a few changes to their Pterodon model to see if when they did their phylogenetic analysis, it might come out as an Antigemorph or, you know, basically show that it's very similar to Altyrhinus. But when they did things like shrink the nasal fenestra a little bit in case that happened as it grew, they found that there were still enough differences between Altyrhinus and Pterodon to consider them different animals. So they kind of hedged it by saying, we can't say definitively that they're different animals because we don't really know the age of Altyrhinus as well. You know, if you knew it was an adult and it was bigger or it was an adult in the same size, that would obviously give you better information but they didn't include that as part of their analysis. So that would obviously be a good follow-up study. And if they do that study and find that, you know, there are more similarities, then they might get lumped together again later. So that's our first new dinosaur of the podcast. But as promised... The episode. <laughs> yeah, good point. We've had, <laughs> There's been many new dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, we've literally had hundreds. But yeah, as promised, we have another new dinosaur this episode. <laughs> And this one is a sauropod. Yes. Yeah, that was, that was like a pause for applause sort of moment. <laughs> <laughs> it was described by Rodolfo Coria and others, and its name is Pilmatuea fondesi. And Pilmatuea is the name of the genus because it's from the Pilmatue area of Argentina, which is in Patagonia. It's interesting to me, like a lot of times they'll describe it as Patagonia randomly and not mention Argentina at all. And then in this case, they didn't mention Patagonia. They just talk about Argentina the whole time. You only need to know one piece of it. I guess so. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. Maybe since they weren't going to name it Patagotitan or some other kind of Patagonian name, they just stuck with Argentina. And then Fondesi is because it was named after Mr. Ramon Fondes, who they say is the manager of the Museo Municipal de las Lajas for supporting their project since 2009. And I couldn't find this museum anywhere. I found a similar museum, but it was in Cuba and doesn't seem to have anything to do with paleontology. So maybe it's just a philanthropist in Cuba who gave them money. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. If anybody knows what this museum is, tell me, and then I can add to our map. As always, they had to find some sort of unique thing about the dinosaur. So in this case, they call it the earliest recorded Cretaceous Dicreosaurid. And All right. Yeah, so Dicreosauridae is a family of diplodocoids, and it includes a Margosaurus, which is a pretty popular one, the one with the bifurcated spines down its neck that looks really cool. It's like a sail on a sauropod, <laughs> or two sails, really. But the weird thing about it is there are several other dicreosaurids that are from the Jurassic, which is from before the Cretaceous. So calling it the earliest recorded Cretaceous dicreosaurid is kind of like describing your friend as like the youngest friend you have in their 30s. It's like you still have younger friends that are in their 20s, but you're going to specify like a very specific time range and then call them the youngest of that time range. Well, it's nice to be able to have some claim to fame. It's not really. I mean, if it's the earliest, but it's the earliest of a later period, <laughs> seems kind of ridiculous to me. But I don't know. I guess it's interesting. This happens a lot. 
Because there's such a big time difference between Cretaceous and Jurassic. Yeah, that's noting. true. Yeah, and it still isn't that early in the Cretaceous, I suppose. But I don't know. <laughs> it's sometimes having to make it the absolute most of something for every dinosaur discovery is kind of like, eh. You could just say it's a new dicreosaurid from the Cretaceous in Argentina. That's interesting, too. <laughs> I think you're being nitpicky. <laughs> Maybe. I think it, it might be an element of sort of how these publications happen, though, because a lot of journals only want to publish things if there's some like significant relevance to that individual. So if they, the more things that they can say is like the most or the biggest or the earliest or the latest, then that gets them more likely to be published in a better journal. So that's probably why they do it. So a lot of these dicreosaurids have really interesting vertebrae like a margosaurus. And that is basically all they found with Pilmatuea. And it looks a lot like a Margosaurus, really. So its spines are taller than the rest of the vertebrae combined, which is pretty crazy looking. So you've got that little kind of central part of the vertebrae and then the, you know, pieces that stick off to the sides and then really tall spines sticking out of the top. So it looks really cool. And because of that, there are just a lot of general similarities assumed between it and a Margosaurus, which is also from Argentina and from the Cretaceous. That's the latest known <laughs> dicreosaurid, and previously it was the only one known from the Cretaceous. So since this one was a little bit earlier, that makes it the earliest one known in the Cretaceous. Unfortunately, since they only found a couple bones, they didn't learn too much more about the family other than just have some things to compare with this individual versus other ones in the same family. Just happy they found another sauropod. Yeah, it's cool. I, they're one of my favorite groups of dinosaurs, too, with those tall spines. It's such an interesting combination. Mm -hmm. And most people have no idea that they exist sauropods with sails on their necks. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. We have some sad news next. There was a recent fire at the National Museum of Brazil in Rio de Janeiro that destroyed a lot of the 20 million items that were in its collection. Yeah, it basically like collapsed the whole top of the museum. So everything that wasn't in the basement got destroyed. Well, it's unclear too. There are some that were in metal boxes. Oh, okay. They might be okay. They got to do more excavating first. Mm -hmm. So in the collection, they had bones of the sauropod, Maxicolosaurus, they had ancient Egyptian artifacts, and they had Luzo, which is this 11,500-year-old human skull. And that was the oldest one known, right? If not the oldest, one of the oldest. Yeah, it was one of the oldest known. Uh, luckily, no one was hurt because the fire happened after the museum closed on a Sunday. The museum's really old and got a lot of history itself. It was founded in 1818. There's a lot of criticism that this fire could have been prevented. So since 2014, the museum has not gotten its full annual funding. Mm. And in 2015, it had to close for a while because there wasn't enough funding to pay for the cleaning and security staff. And curators actually had to crowdfund to repair termite damage of the hall of the, with their humpback whale and the dinosaur arm, Maxicolosaurus. And then in May of this year, 10 of their 30 exhibits were closed because they were in disrepair. The museum had exposed electrical wiring and oh, no. peeling walls. Yeah. I can see where this is going. Well, so when the fire broke out, there's two fire hydrants near the museum, but apparently they were empty. Oh. So the firefighters had to use water trucks and then get pond water from a nearby park. Oh. The government has said that they are going to study how to rebuild the museum, though... So Researchers have mentioned that funding in Brazil for research keeps getting cut. 
Yeah, it's a lot cheaper to pay people to upkeep a museum than build a, re- a whole new one. Right. Plus, you've lost a lot of items in the collection now. Yeah. In the meantime, a group of people, including students, are trying to help rebuild by gathering images of the collections and exhibitions. So if you have any, send it their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think especially for some of the ones that were lost, they weren't all described But if you can get good pictures of them, they might be able to sort of piece together some of the measurements that they use for comparisons. Mm -hmm. That's what we used to do with Spinosaurus. Yeah. Well, that one was at least formally described. True. This isn't the first time that a fire has destroyed a museum. There was, in April 2016, a fire in India's National Museum of Natural History in New Delhi that destroyed it. And then Instituto... Bhutanen in Sao Paulo in 2010, they lost the world's largest collections of venomous animal specimens. Mm. For this particular fire, it's not clear how it started. It might have been from an electric short circuit or a homemade paper hot air balloon that may have landed on the roof. Uh, That's popular to do. Hmm. Like a lantern, basically. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's a lot of irreplaceable items in the collection. There were many type specimens. There were indigenous objects. There were audio recordings of indigenous languages that are no longer spoken. Mm. It's not clear yet the full extent of the damage. As I said, there were some metal cabinets with fossils in them that may have survived. They found more than 40,000 mollusk specimens that had been reported to be saved. Everything in the main building, though, is thought to be destroyed, though the fish and reptile specimens herbarium and library were separate so those might be okay people were understandably very angry the day after the fire there were actually police in riot gear trying to keep the crowd away from the entrance to the museum yeah well i could really understand that especially eight years ago in sao paulo a different museum burned down mm-hmm. and then they they're letting this one like fall into disrepair that's ridiculous mm-hmm. come on yeah it's such a bummer and One of the saddest parts is some of these dinosaurs that were lost. There are lots of holotypes actually in there because as far as I know, especially with that Sao Paulo Museum burning down, I think this was the largest natural history museum in Brazil. So if you needed a place where you wanted to store these specimens, especially you need a large space to display it or keep it in the collections, this is the place where you put it. So like Irritator, for example, which is that cool Spinosaurid with very little remains because Spinosaurid remains are super hard to find. Mm -hmm. I believe that they had the skull down in the collection. So that's probably okay, which is good. But they hadn't described the postcranial remains, some limb elements that were, you know, in the skeleton mount up in the museum. So when that got destroyed, we'll never be able to, you know, 3D scan those or anything Mm -hmm. unless somebody has already done it. Or you can piece it together from enough pictures (laughs) from around it. Right. But yeah, there were a lot of other sauropods and other dinosaurs that may have been lost. And also, like Sabrina mentioned, some other really significant natural history specimens like Homo sapien and Smilodon and Mastodon. Lots of animals that people are really interested in studying. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it also struck to me with, we were talking recently about how you know, like the British Museum holds on to a lot of things that they've excavated from other countries. And they say, well, we'll give it back to you once you have a good enough museum to hold it in. Mm-hmm. And that always seems like kind of a cop out, like we just want to keep it. But when stuff like this happens, you think, well, actually, maybe they have a point because if the government isn't going to keep it in a real high end, you know, well kept museum, stuff like this can happen and you can lose it forever. Right. So, like I said, they are trying to collect as many photos as they can of 
photos of the exhibitions, photos of the collections, trying to piece as much as possible back together. Yeah, so I'll link in our show notes if you want to send some pictures. In happier museum news. Good. Yeah. (laughs) That was a downer. The Museum of Prehistory in Brabant, Netherlands, will be presented with a new Diplodocus skeleton on October 10th. About 70% of the skeletons preserved, and that includes 300 bones that need to be cleaned and assembled. The process of doing that's going to take about three years, and if you visit, you can watch it happen. This Diplodocus is about 65 feet or 20 meters long, and it lived about 150 million years ago in what is now Wyoming. Nice. Yeah. That is a lot. 70% of a sauropod. You don't get that often. I know. It's a good week for sauropods. Well, except for the ones that went missing forever. yes, yes. (laughs) Focusing on the positive. Yeah, that's good. In Ohio, the Cincinnati Museum Center is getting a 30-foot-long Torvosaurus skeleton in November. That one's 55% complete. It was found in Dinosaur, Colorado by a Cincinnati native, Jason Cooper, and it will be displayed alongside five other dinosaurs in Dinosaur Hall, including Allosaurus and Galeomopus, and three other new dinosaurs, though I couldn't find which ones they will be. Cool. Yeah. Ohio has some good dinosaur museums with that and the Cleveland Museum. Yeah, and you can go to some brewery sometimes and see dinosaurs. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Next, thanks to Dennis who shared this one with us. In Napa County in California, you can see a T-Rex skeleton nicknamed Roosevelt, also known as Rosie, at the Aaron Martin Design Showroom. At least it was up until the end of August. It might be up until the end of this month. I hope so. Maybe we'll get a chance to see it. But this T-Rex is 35 feet or 10.6 meters long. It took three to four people to assemble it in about a couple hours. And it's named after Franklin D. Roosevelt. Mm. And it's comprised of three partial skeletons found in Montana and Wyoming. Two of the skeletons were found near Fort Peck Lake, a hydroelectric dam project that was made as part of FDR's New Deal in 1940. That's why it got the nickname. Roosevelt the dinosaur is about 45% original bones. Wow. Yeah. It was put together in 2015. The skeletons were collected between 2008 and 2013 by Clayton Phipps. And it's on sale for $3.9 million. Hope it goes to a museum. That'd be nice. Where do you have to go to see this? The showroom in Napa County. I wonder if we can go see it. If it's still there. Yeah. We should try. Yeah. Aaron Martin Design Showroom. Yeah. Dennis saw it and sent us pictures some good ones. Nice. Thanks again, Dennis. (laughs) In another part of the world, Gaoxing Industrial Park in Zigong, Sichuan, China, makes animatronic dinosaurs and other prehistoric creatures. Post Magazine wrote a feature on the park. There's 25 companies there, and apparently they make, quote, four out of every five models of prehistoric beasts around the world. Holy cow. This is according to the Sichuan Bureau of Commerce. Yeah. One factory, Gungu Longtan, makes 2,000 dinosaurs per year, and they have 220 people who work there. Holy crap. They have dinosaurs in more than 60 countries. <laughs> that is a lot of people churning out dinosaurs. I know. So making these animatronics, they require a lot of steps and skill, as you might imagine. It starts with cutting and welding a steel frame. Then they had motors and other electrical components. Then they cover it with synthetic foam. Then they carve that out to show the details. Then they glue silk gauze to the model and add five coats of silicone rubber, then an undercoat of pigment, then more silicone rubber, and then a top paint coat. And then they add the glass eyes and the wooden teeth and the claws that they make from fiberglass or silicone rubber. So lots of things. The industrial park, it's near a large fossil area. There's fossils from the Jurassic. They found that back in the 1970s by an oil prospecting team. 
And there's also a museum in the area, the Zigong Dinosaur Museum, Center of Jurassic Stratigraphy and Paleontology, which opened in 1987. Oh, yeah, I've heard that's a good one. Yeah, you, if you go there, you can see the excavation site. And species found there, they include the Stegosaur, Huayangasaurus, and the Sauropod Shunosaurus. Oh, those are good ones. Yeah. Shunosaurus is one of my favorites. That's got that club tail, mm-hmm. which is another weird thing you'd never expect to find on a sauropod. Sauropods are great. They're pretty cool. That's really interesting. It kind of explains why a lot of times I go to these animatronic dinosaur things and I feel like I've just seen the same one over and over and over again. It's all made by the same people. <laughs> it is, apparently. And they all have that same like rubbery look. Although, I don't know, those don't look like they're silicone. Oh, I guess they are silicone rubber. But they're very rubbery looking. Like their skin looks like it kind of jiggles mm-hmm. over the armature underneath a lot of the time. And they might be outdoor safe, too, given that I've seen a lot of these outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> Except for when they have an electrical short and then burst into flames. Might not be them. We don't know. That's true. <laughs> well, it seems 80% likelihood that it is if they make four out of five of them. <laughs> but they're not the only ones who make dinosaurs. There's actually a family in Great Falls, Montana, that decided to build their own brontosaurus. Mm. So Justin Akins, who's the father, works for a Sinclair station, and then his four kids thought that it'd be fun to build their own dinosaur. And they found a dinosaur outline online. They traced it onto plywood and cut it out, and their cousins helped. The whole thing took them two years and a lot of welding. And then they, oh. Yeah, they painted it. They had to actually paint it twice because they put too much paint on it the first time, and then I think it couldn't stand up or something happened. <laughs> it was too slick, so they had to redo it. But now they plan on putting Christmas lights on it in December, and they're currently taking suggestions for names, and they're already planning their next project. They want to build a T-Rex. That's cool. So they must have gone beyond just cutting out a plywood outline. That was, I guess, the first step in their design. It looks like metal in the picture. That's cool. There was welding, so it makes sense. Oh, yeah. It just looks like a... It looks a lot like the Sinclair logo, (laughs) which makes sense. Mm -hmm. But then it's got some depth to it. So, but it's still kind of a 2D shape. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's really cute. Next, it's already been 10 years since Google Chrome came out. And to celebrate, you can play a birthday edition of the running T-Rex game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that one where the T-Rex is use the space bar and it jumps over the cactus. So in this version, the T-Rex is wearing a party hat. And you still jump over cactus, but you can also collect birthday cake. And then there's balloons in the background. <laughs> It's always like when I see that thing, I get annoyed because it means my website didn't load. But seeing the little dinosaur, it does relieve a little bit of the sting. Then it's doing its job. (laughs) Yeah. And last, Mattel has a new blue Velociraptor dinosaur toy out. It's called the Alpha Training Blue. It's an interactive raptor. It is 16 inches, about 40 centimeters tall, and you can control it with a remote. It's actually a baby blue, so it's about the same size as baby blue in Jurassic Aww. World. Yeah. And the remote looks like Owen Grady's clicker, hmm. so you can act out those scenes. She comes in a cardboard box that looks like a dinosaur cage. She can make over 100 sounds and movements, including blink, roar, chomp, move her tail, and she has built-in wheels on her feet. Hmm. There's four modes. There's training mode, guard mode, RC mode, or total control mode. In training mode, she responds to motion commands. You can give her treats or pet her, and then she can advance. And the press release said, quote, You can train Blue up to 90% with 10% of her activity still a surprise, similar to a real animal. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder how well that works. The reviews so far have been positive. How much does it cost? 
Looks like $250. Oof. I was going to say we should get it and try it out, but I don't know if I want to $250 worth. Maybe someone else can try it out and <laughs> let us know if they think it's worth it. Yeah. This episode's brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. <laughs> mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now into the dinosaur of the day, Electrosaurus, which was a request from Allosaurus, the great theropod dude, so thanks. It was a tyrannosaur that lived in the Cretaceous and what is now Inner Mongolia at the Irandabasu Formation. There's only one species, Electrosaurus olsoni. The name means a lone lizard. It was found in 1923 as part of the Third Asiatic Expedition of the American Museum of Natural History led by Walter W. Granger, and it was named in 1933 by Charles Gilmore. The species name is in honor of George Olson, an assistant paleontologist who discovered the fossils, which included a nearly complete right hind limb, part of the right femur, tibia, fibula, toes, hand, and part of the pubis. Olson also found a second specimen nearby, which included the humerus, fingers, and vertebrae. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Other fossils have been referred to Electrosaurus that were found in China and Uzbekistan. It was a medium-sized bipedal carnivore that could grow up to 16.4 feet or 5 meters long, and it had a similar body shape to T-Rex. I guess that's medium-sized, 16 feet long. <laughs> but compared to something like T-Rex, that is still not yep. too big. So it's still pretty small. <laughs> but it was one of the top predators of its time, along with Gigantoraptor. Electrosaurus probably preyed on Ornithischians, such as Bactrosaurus and Gilmorosaurus. Guessing that one's named after. Yeah. 
The tibia and femur were similar in length. It was different from other tyrannosauroids where the tibia is longer. Also, the hind foot and ankle were closer in size to the tibia than other tyrannosauroids. The hind foot is usually longer. Some scientists have thought that Electrosaurus olsoni was a species of Albertosaurus, but Thomas Carr in 2005 said that Electrosaurus had a number of distinguishing characteristics and therefore was its own genus. And our fun fact of the day goes back to what I hinted at earlier about Odon, because they said that Odon was a common ending for other ornithopod dinosaurs. I wanted to check that because I didn't think I had seen Odon very often. So I looked it up, and Odon is in fact historically one of the most common dinosaur name endings. If you think about it, the original three dinosaurs were Megalosaurus, Hylaeosaurus, and Iguanodon. So it makes sense that that Odon part from Iguanodon would show up in other dinosaurs. And there were dozens of them named in the 1800s. Most of them are now considered invalid, though. And in addition to Mantell, who named Iguanodon, the suffix was also used by Thomas Henry Huxley with Hypsilophodon, which is an ornithopod, Richard Owen, Othniel Charles Marsh, Edward Drinker Cope, Franz Knopska, Friedrich von Huhn, and Joseph Lady, who are pretty much all of the big names in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lady named Troodon, that was his Odon, which is now considered dubious, but is, has that whole other lineage, but that is not an ornithopod, it's a whole other thing. But Odon really isn't used very often for dinosaurs anymore, and I'm not sure, maybe that's because just having tooth is a little bit vague. It's kind of nice to hint at what family it's in, like ceratops or something similar, if you're going to end in a suffix, because otherwise it's just kind of vague, I suppose. But most of the time they just end in saurus, because that lets you know that it's a dinosaur. And then there are other fossils that were thought to be dinosaurs back in the day, that ended in Odon, but turned out to be something else. One of them is Squalodon, which is now known to be an extinct whale, (laughs) but they thought was relative to Iguanodon. Then there's Belodon, which is a phytosaur, sort of a Triassic crocodilian sort of thing. There's Anthodon, which was a Permian reptile, whose name means flower tooth. That's kind of cool. And then one of the funnier ones is Succinodon, which was thought to be a jaw, but turned out to be fossilized wood with burrow holes in it from mollusks. Hmm. (laughs) So it was not an animal at all, let alone a dinosaur. My favorite, though, is Volcanodon, which is an actual dinosaur. I think that's the coolest name for an Odon. It's a good one. Yep. But Odon just means tooth, so if there's an interesting tooth, sometimes they stick it on the end of all sorts of different animals, not just dinosaurs. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And also you have until our 200th episode, September 26th, to sign up and we will give you an audiobook on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks again and until next time. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader